Yeah, last week we we talked about I think uh, most of the time about the flood and um, the picture of the cross and the flood. Some of you were were online last time and and heard all of that. And then you know if you haven't if you haven't heard that, I'm not going to go back and review a ton of that today. Um, we talked about the the uh, Noah's Ark as a you know as a picture of the cross and Noah as a picture of Christ and 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 just the, the judgment of Adam in, in that whole event. We talked about how that's just basically God went to, uh, you know, said some pretty massive indictments about uh, the, the Adamic man prior to that judgment and then wrapped them all up. It, you know, it, it brought about a great, um, a great end, uh, the death, a judgment, uh, for the Adamic man, uh, that was a picture of the of, of what he was later going to do in the cross. He never again was going to flood the natural world in a type and shadow version, he, and he never again did. But uh, he he definitely did it again, the real for, for real in the cross, which was a much more severe, a much more real judgment than than you know in our natural minds we probably think that the flood is a a more devastating a more drastic judgment than the cross because we're so used to seeing things as they are externally physically naturally but from god's point of view the the, the flood and the, the the judgment of adam in the flood was just a just a small picture of a much much greater spiritual reality um, so we talked about that and and some of the specifics involved. We talked about um, let's see here. Um, God basically, you know, th- this like like all types and shadows. This one doesn't actually. F- it presents up the problem of uh, that man has. It, it presents the, the judgment of the cross in some way or another, and then it shows the solution. It shows the other side of the cross. Uh, and on this one, the other side had to do with a, a new creation coming out of the ark um, on top of a mountain. And mountains are always very significant. Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. Um, Jerusalem up on a mountain and, and and you know it's always this it's because as, as far as I can see it's because uh, above this God's dwelling place or the way to meet with God is always by going above now we go above in Christ above not being a location but a but a reality a relationship a life you know the difference as I've said before the difference between above and below is the difference between Adam and Christ and uh and we go above in Christ, raised up above, raised up and seated with Him, and we 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 come to that realm above in Him. But you know, all throughout the Old Testament pictures, you see these mountains, and these mountains are always representative of these high. I don't know this this way that God provides to meet with with Himself. So you have in 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 Exodus, you have Moses going up mountains meeting with God, and you have the seventy elders going up in the mountain meeting with God. And uh, then you have prophets meeting with God on top of the mountain. Jesus even meeting with God on top of the mountain. And then we actually coming into the mountain that is Christ. And um, or going up that mountain. <clears throat> As it says in Hebrews chapter 12, we have come to Mount Zion. And anyway, so the top of the mountain, they come out to the new creation. We talked about the a covenant. I might mention just, just again, a co- the, the word covenant is... is 
is a really really important word and honestly we we could we could spend a lot of time just talking about this word it's it's absolutely necessary that we comprehend the reality of a covenant we've we've talked before about how how a covenant is a, is a defined relationship it's a relationship that has a specific understanding and and definition to it and God enters into covenants with with mankind, and they always have specific boundaries and rules and, and understandings and things that are part of that covenant, you know. Um, and 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 but they're always always a, a cov- the covenants that we see in the old co- in the Old Testament represent a view that uh, God's view of His Son. And relate what it means for God to relate to a people in Christ. So, here is the first covenant that we come across in the old the old uh, testament. But generally, when people talk about the old covenant, they're talking about the Mosaic covenant, and we they, we we talk often as though there was only basically the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and then the new covenant in Christ, and that's. That's fine to talk about it like that. Bio does that too, but there really were a bunch of old covenants that were all part of the same big picture of Christ, um, starting with Noah, starting with Noah, and then Abraham, and then um, Moses, and and then Phineas, and David, and, and all these different covenants that God established. But every single one, they weren't different, separate, detached institutions or, or, or relationships. They were all one big, ever... Um, well, he was always adding more details and adding more pictures of Christ to the exact same relationship. God has only ever designed one way to relate to mankind, and that is in his Son. In Christ as the nature of the relationship, the person of the relationship. That's the only relationship that God has ever known or seen or wanted. or And, and every other covenant is only a picture of that one. I, I say that because if you read through uh, Christian books a lot of times, they talk as though God tried this for a while, then he switched to this, and then he did this did this Abraham covenant thing, and then he went, went to the Noah thing, and it was different, and then it was... It's not different. I mean, it's different in, in terms of... Um, there were different things involved with it, but it, it's it's all... You have to remember, he was looking at the substance and creating the shadows when he was staring at the substance. So he never had two things in mind, ever. God's never had two things in mind. He has only ever had one thing in mind that is his mind, that is the expression of his will and his wisdom and his purpose and his nature and his love and his glory and his righteousness, and that's Christ. Christ is that place, that reality, that life, that relationship. Christ is the boundaries of, of where God meets with man. He is the mountain of that inheritance where we come and meet with him. And he's all those things. And so starting with Noah, again, God begins to give us the boundaries of Christ in type and shadow. And the very first thing we see there, as we mentioned last time, is that we don't, he doesn't, there's not a lot. There's not a lot of details in that covenant, but there is this reality that there's no more judgment involved. That's huge. In Christ, in this new covenant, God says, I will never again judge. I, I will never again strike the earth or whatever, however he says it. We do what I did with the water. I don't ever have to do it again. 
there is now nothing left to judge. I mean, again, this is type and shadow, and we're going to see in Genesis chapter 11 shortly that the flood didn't actually solve anything. It just painted a picture of the solution. Because in Genesis chapter 11 is the Tower of Babel, and, and you see Adam's up to his old tricks again. But at least for a for the purposes of, a, of an amazing picture, um, God showed a uh, a solution, and that solution had to do with the relationship. And the relationship, in the relationship, there was no more judgment. I will never again strike the earth as I have done. And oh, here it is. Uh, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as as I have done. And and so that's basically the same thing as God saying to those who are in Christ, who have gone through the judgment of the cross, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I will never again strike you. I've already judged you in my son. There's nothing left to judge. And the other issue there in that covenant is the blood and the, the, the life. The, the, the life of that covenant belongs to God. It's not for man to take or to use or to drink or to whatever. It's God's. God gives the life in that covenant, and it's sacred. And we'll get more into the blood as we go through the old covenant because it keeps popping back up. But anyway, um, when Noah, I think we left off, if I remember correctly, um, when Noah came out of the ark, what we see is that he has judged, God has judged all mankind and now is not relating to man according to their nature, but according to his covenant. Okay? He's no longer relating to man according to what they bring to the table, but rather what he gives to them in himself. That's exactly what grace is. I mean, grace is that God, grace isn't just God tolerating you because he killed Jesus. Grace is God giving Jesus to you as your relationship with him. And not just Jesus as a relationship, Jesus as righteousness, Jesus as life, Jesus as glory, Jesus as everything. He gives you what he what he requires and he relates to you in what he gives you. That that's what's going on here. And and he no longer relates to you in the things that he has put away from himself, that he has removed from his sight. So what does he remove from his sight? Well, in this case, he's removed from the flesh. Remember he said before the flood, he says, I will, I, I'm not, I'm not going to strive with flesh any longer. I'm, I'm about to wipe it off the face of the earth. You know, flesh is, I will not strive with, with flesh. His years or their years shall be 120. And I believe that was kind of like a countdown to, to the flood, not the, uh, the, the age of, human life as most people or a lot of people say that doesn't make a lot of sense to me but um, I think that God from again type and shadow we're not talking about the fulfillment yet that's in the cross but in a type and shadow kind of way God put the flesh out of his sight he wouldn't he was done looking at it and he gave them another place where they could live where he wouldn't see their flesh Okay, that's again. That's what a covenant is. There's a billion pictures of this. In fact, Paul says in Colossians, "You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God," and it's hidden because 
you, although you are there and you, you are experiencing the fullness of it, you're not the one being seen. You have been given another life as your relationship with God. Christ appears in the presence of God for you. It's another way to say it. It's, it's what uh, I think it's uh, Hebrews uh, 9.24 says. Um, Christ appears in the presence of God for you. You're there, but he's the one appearing. Okay? He's not relating to you. According, it's what he says. He just he, we just read this. He says, "Look, I, I'm not gonna. I, 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 the, the thoughts of man are evil from their youth. Okay, but I've given you a way to have this relationship with me." And he smells the the fragrant uh, aroma of the um, the burnt offering, and he says, "Okay, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied that judgment has taken place." And so. All of that is just to kind of set up what I want to say here, and and that is that God is not, well, well to, to set up kind of what we see in this next picture, because God has stopped relating to us according to what he has already judged. It is no longer the the place he is meeting us. It's no longer the man that 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 he is looking upon, okay? And so... He gives us another man that fully clothes us with himself. He gives us another man that becomes our uh, the garment that we wear, the life that we bear, the um, the nature that that we receive. That man becomes our covering, and he no longer looks upon this Adamic fleshy nakedness. Okay, he sees us covered in Christ, and so. The very next thing that happens after the flood, and it seems like a really weird, like it, 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 it almost, it almost be like from a natural point of view. This is why I, I seriously, it's so funny to see people trying to understand the Old Testament with a natural mind without seeing Christ as the fulfillment. Because what are you going to do with this little story here? You know, there's this great cataclysmic judgment in the flood, and then you have this. Incredible salvation and a, the rainbow, the covenant, the, the new create all these great pictures. And the next thing you know, Noah's drunk and naked. You know, and what, what are you gonna? You know, that one never makes it into the kids' storybooks about the flood. Have you ever noticed that? You know, those of you who have kids and like read them like flood stories in the little children's Bibles and stuff. For some reason. They always leave Noah naked out of the story at the end, you know, and again the and the sun's marching backwards and not looking upon his flesh and covering up covering him up why why do we leave that one out because that we can't make a little moral out of that, you know there's no little thing you can say like we say about the flood, like if you obey God, you won't drown you know um it, but but it's just as important what what follows in this next story is. Is is the automatic repercussion or or consequence of what has just happened, and and Paul says it this the exact same way, and we'll get to that in a second in Second Corinthians chapter five. But here's what's going on: God has judged all flesh. In the death of of Christ, there was the death of all, and therefore He no longer relates. To man according to the flesh, but according to a covenant, but according to Christ. Therefore, as a result of that, we no longer should relate to one another 
according to what God has removed, judged, and left behind. Okay, we should no longer have the point, the 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 meeting place of of our relationship, the actual foundation and substance. Now, obviously, we all, we still have flesh, we still have we still have bodies, we still have natural things going on, or whatever. But the substance and reality of our relationship with one another should be what God has. It should be what's new and not what has passed away. It should be all things made new in Christ and not old things having passed away. Okay? So, now, this sounds like theology and doctrine or whatever. Until you begin to see it with your heart. Until you begin to relate to people according to spirit and truth. Until... Until the relationship that you have with somebody else in Christ, as Christ, begins to be the actual substance and reality of, of, of what you, what two people are sharing. Then, and, and, and not only that, when that happens, the things in the flesh, whether they are in agreement or not, you know, whether, okay, we both like, uh, I don't know, uh, Romantic comedies and McDonald's fillet of fish, you know, that that people build relationships on that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, not exactly, but you know what I mean. It's just natural things that people have in common. But when when you when you begin to see all that you truly have in common in all things in common in Christ, and you share the same life, and you share the same Father, and you share the same eternal purpose, and you share the same Spirit, and you share the same light, and and you begin to fellowship in that light according to those new realities that God has established in a new covenant, then the fleshly things uh they don't how would you say it they're just not the they're not the place or the substance or the reality of where relationships get their their substance they're they're, they're not the thing in which we are finding our unity now Christians go around today trying to find unity in, in the flesh. We we read verses that say we are one in Jesus. We don't know what they mean, and and we go around trying to make that unity based upon doctrines and ideas and and creeds. We have these ecumenical movements and and and, and try to like find the main ten things that we agree upon about the Bible and all that nonsense, and uh, and that's not what unity is. And unity is sharing one life in, in one light. And I guess what I'm saying, I mean, I'm getting off kind of on a, on a bunny trail here, but here, here's my point. If, if God is relating to you and me according to, not according to what he has judged and put away, but now according to what he has raised up and established as this relationship then we have no business relating to one another in him according to that which doesn't even exist in him or exist in his view or exist in his light in other words if god i'm going kind of like the the, the scenic route here trying to say, trying to spit this out but i just really really want everyone to, to grab this because if god has put away flesh by the cross then flesh although we will still have you know 
family picnics and and you know um kindergarten parties or or whatever we do you know even though that stuff continues on in the natural realm our relationship with one another is now no longer according to the flesh but according to the spirit now if you have your bibles flip okay well so let me first of all let me so let me talk about this uh this verse and then, then I'm in Genesis 9:20 and then we're going to flip to 2 Corinthians 5:14 but it's the same it's the same thing in both place, both places it's just the picture and the fulfillment uh, in Genesis 9:20 and Noah became uh, or began to be a farmer and he planted a vineyard and he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent and Ham the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on both their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away and they did not see their father's nakedness. Again, really weird story if if, if we're not seeing the fulfillment. Where's the fulfillment? Well, the fulfillment is through the cross, but here's, here's Paul describing it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. Or another way to say that is because this judgment is working in us. Or because we're seeing things according to this judgment. Some translations, unfortunately, take out that word judgment right there. Or take out the word judge. And they put in like uh, something like because here's our opinion or this is our attitude. And that's really butchering. You got to have this word judgment in there, or, or, you're, or you're missing, uh, you're missing the point of what he's saying. Okay, it's in there. It's there, it's there in the Greek. It's got to be there. It should be there in your Bibles. So, so write it in if it's not. For the love of Christ compels us. Because why? Because we judge thus. Because this judgment is reality in my heart. That if one died for all, then all died. That's what happened in the flood. Okay picture of Christ as not not just Christ dying instead of you but Christ becoming the death of all of you all of us baptized into his death all of us the whole world drowned in the death of the cross so if he died for all that those then those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died and rose again and I won't get into that four there but it's I'll leave that alone. Okay, therefore, here's the conclusion. If Christ died for all, and now, and, and, and therefore all died, and now Christ is the life of all who live, what's the conclusion? Well, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. And I like the other translation, say, we no longer know anyone according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Why? Well, because, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in this new covenant, that is a man, that is a, that is a life, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. All of that is just saying what we just said and what we just looked at in this picture from Genesis chapter 9. Old things had passed away. Flesh had been judged through the, cro- through the cross, through the, uh, through the flood. Uh, 
God was not looking on, on, on flesh, and neither were Noah's, well, two, at least two of Noah's sons. One of the sons, who ends up being the father of the Canaanites, who kind of represents flesh in the land that needs to be cut off, you know, later on. We'll get to that eventually. You know, Canaanites are always like these. In the land of Canaan, you know, they go into this land that God has purchased, and there's there's these fleshy things that need to be chopped off there. And uh, and so it's interesting here that, that, that it says Ham is the father of the uh, of Canaan. But... Uh, but the the two wise sons, or the two sons that had perspective, or the two sons that could see according to God's perspective, would not relate to Noah any longer according to what was already judged and put away. Now that, guys, this isn't just like a cool scriptural parallel. This comes to be a real, really, really real thing in the hearts of people who are um, are seeing the Lord. I remember someone who, some ladies I know just went on a, a, a recently went on a women's retreat and, and, and one of the things my wife said, and I heard from some other people too, is that they they knew nothing, most of them knew nothing about each other naturally. And yet, they, they, they were all saying that like they felt like they had everything in common spiritually, like they... You know, and, and even one, one one person actually told me that like it, when they started to like just chit chat or whatever between you know times where they were sharing and stuff, that was the only time where like people felt like differences or you know there were people from different countries there, different states, different backgrounds, you know, different histories, whatever, uh, different preferences, different whatever. But once, as long as they were seeing not just sharing their beliefs, but actually seeing and sharing the same Christ in the same light, there was this, there was this awesome sense of uh, being one. It's like, and, and, and if somebody said, let's, I, I know I'm making this up because I, I didn't hear anything about this, but let's just say someone just threw out some totally carnal, fleshy thing in the middle of it, or someone just, I don't know, got mad at someone else and said, whatever. You know, you can just throw a blanket over those things because you know what it is. It's part of the old. You know, you just you don't have to look upon it. You don't have to take it that seriously. It's just flesh. Of course, flesh is going to act like that. If if someone if someone begins to relate to you who are in Christ according to the flesh, you don't have to get offended. You don't have to. Really, it it should start to become harder and harder for you to be offended by the things, or to be hurt, or or to be uh, you know impacted by the things that that. God has put away. Now that's that's a progressive thing. It doesn't happen overnight. And some people have you know their buttons that get pushed are here, and other people's buttons that get pushed are there, and whatever. And don't try to measure yourself and worry about it. But just I'm just saying it just happens. The things that are dead to God become dead to you in God's light. The things that are alive to God become alive to you in God's light. And one of the things that that lets you do more and more in in Christ, in the body of Christ, is relate to flesh as 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 what it really is, something that has no right to to be registering in this new relationship, something that doesn't deserve your attention, something that doesn't deserve your anger doesn't deserve your hurt doesn't deserve your tears it is what it is it, you know throw a blanket over it and don't look at it you know that's i mean sometimes 
you have to deal with it in the church. Sometimes Paul had to say, you know, point it out, people that were just living in this and that or whatever. But, but it's even then, it still doesn't have to affect you where life is happening or affect the nature of the relationship between people who are sharing life. And that's that's all, I mean, to me that's a really, really big deal. And I love this picture of it, because the two sons of Noah would not relate to, to Noah according to what was old, judged, and put away from God's sight. So, anyway, that's that's just to, to wrap up that, that story of the flood. And, and one, more, one more thing, I guess. I just, I just like this little story of the... Uh, uh, the raven and the dove. Um, I kind of skipped over it, but remember, remember when um, I don't think I wrote down the verse here. I should have, but remember when Noah was waiting for the earth to dry up and and, and to find a place. Um, you could say to find a, a a place to come out onto, or a a place to. A dry place, dry land, and, and we talked about dry land versus water. I think way back in one of the early, earlier sessions when God divided the dry land from the sea. So, so, so this judgment has happened, and now, um, now you have this picture of the dove, the spirit of God, coming out of coming out of this judgment or whatever, looking for a resting place, looking for a place to... Well, for the first thing that happens is that death or, or judgment, you could say, the raven goes out and just flies all around, you know? That's the first thing that happens. The, the dove isn't first. The dove is afterwards. First, there's this great cataclysmic judgment. First, there's darkness. Then, there's light. First, there's judgment. Then, there's life. First, there's death. Then, there's grace. I mean, all these... It's always the... The, the night comes first, and then the morning. So the raven goes out first, and and just flies around. You know, the the dove gets sent out, and the first time, it's kind of like uh, the 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 spirit of God or the dove looks for a place to reside, looks for a place to 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 remain, and finds nothing but water, finds no place to um, to to land to perch, whatever. The second time, it, 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 it goes out, he sends it out, and it, and it comes back to him with this stick, a uh, branch. Um, I, I think a, a, a picture of, I mean, there's a few different ways you could see it, a picture of the cross, a picture of new life, a picture of, um, you know, uh, some kind of new growth that's coming, or whatever. The, the point is that judgment has passed. Uh, you, a lot of times, sticks or staffs or things in the Old Testament uh, represent very, very clearly represent the cross. I mean, Jesus says so himself. The serpent on the staff is yeah, it was was him being lifted up, and Moses's staff was always the thing out from which the judgments came. And the staff of Aaron budded and gave came to life. They threw a stick into bitter water; it became sweet and all of that but you know so whatever way you see it I, i'm not exactly sure how to see I, I don't have all the details perfectly but i feel like the first time out he finds nothing the second time out he comes out comes back and shows that judgment has passed the third time the spirit goes out does not come back because it finds this world already perfectly judged it finds a place to remain it finds a dwelling place a place to actually stay 
Okay. Now, I believe this is why this is exactly what the whole purpose of the dove thing was in Jesus' baptism. Jesus goes down. When, when did the dove come? Well, first of all, why was it a dove? I think it's a dove because the, it was the fulfillment of the types and shadows. It was a, you're supposed to see the picture here connected with the picture there. You know, There's a dove. It's the Spirit of God. It's looking for a place to, to live. It looks for a place to remain. Jesus is that place, but after, in, in, a, in a natural picture, and again, this is, even the baptism of Jesus was kind of like a personal, uh, you could say a personal version of a corporate reality that was coming. Okay? Jesus in himself goes down under the water, comes back up, and as he comes up out of the water, it says the Spirit of God, it doesn't say it just flew around him and did a few circles and flew back up to space. It says the Spirit of God came down and remained on him. It, it found what it was looking for. It found a perfect environment. After, you know, baptism is a picture of death. He goes down into death, comes out into resurrection. So you have this picture there of Christ's death, a dead, buried, and, and resurrected. And, and, and out from that, uh, the dove finds, after this, after this picture of judgment, the dove finds a, a, an environment perfectly suitable for him to remain. And then from that moment on, it says Jesus was uh, driven, you know, first driven into the wilderness by the Spirit, or driven by the anointing, or filled with the Spirit of God, and began to, you know, the Spirit is upon me to preach good news to the poor, and all that stuff that he, that he says. Um, uh, that that. That's all the dove, the dove remaining on him, always on him, never departing from him. Well, the, the exact same thing happened or happens with us too. When we are baptized into Christ, we are baptized into his death, we go down into the water, we come back up, and then we all corporately experience the same thing. That's what you saw in Pentecost. You, it didn't say it was the uh, the form of... a. Dove, it didn't, didn't have to, but but that's that's basically what happened. Is the dove came down and landed on, found a new creation. It found a, a people that had already been judged in the cross. Found a, a a perfect environment suitable for his presence, his dwelling, and and so the 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 spirit comes out looking for a place to land. First, it finds nothing. It finds a, a territory governed by death or by a raven or what I don't know, and then it goes out again and and it shows the finished work of the cross and then it goes out again and it finds this perfect environment suitable for its own habitation, its own indwelling. In. And uh, I don't know. I love that picture. One one day I was. Um, I was reading it, I, and in fact, one I remember we were at a group uh, back when I lived in Ohio, and so, someone asked me. I remember someone asking me about the the dove. What's up with the dove and the raven? And I remember I remember telling them, I have no idea. That's I mean I know it's got to mean something, you know. And not that I've like uh, have some perfect explanation now, but not too long ago I was uh, it was here, and I was reading that uh, story, and and. I just, in my head, I just dove, it just clicked with Jesus being baptized and the picture of a place to remain, how it said it came down. Anyway, so, I just love that picture. I think it's perfect. Um, Alright, so, now, uh, we're going to skip here. Chapter 10 is more, Genesis chapter 10 is, is more or less, uh, if I remember correctly, just like a bunch of 
names and descendants and stuff. And the next thing that I have here in my notes is the Tower of Babel. And and then we get into Abraham. I didn't know how far I was going to get today, but um, the the Tower of Babel is again here in here in Gen- the beginning of Genesis. We're meeting with things that are going to keep coming back to us throughout the entire um, Old Old Testament as pictures. Babel, Shinar is the name. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but Shinar is where they built the Tower of Babel. And you'll find that word all throughout the prophets. And you'll find Babylon, or Babel, Babylon, you know, again, plays a huge role in Israel's history and in the prophets and in the prophetic language. And then all the way through to Revelation, it has the exact same meaning. I mean, Babylon is a major player at least in in name and significance in the in the book of revelation and if you don't if you don't see what it means where do you start understanding what babylon means right here genesis chapter 11 and god sticks with the exact it's also um con, uh what's it congruent or oh, that's not the word consistent that's what i'm trying to say it's also consistent all throughout you know, books written hundreds of years or thousands of years apart. These these words, these things that we're seeing, have the exact same meaning everywhere you find them. Well, what's Babel all about? Well, this is a story, and and the language is interesting because it says, um, okay, let me read a little bit here. It says, now the whole earth had one language and one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar. And they dwelt there. Now, sometimes in the prophets they say Babylon, and sometimes they say Shinar, and and it means the same thing. Um, then they said to one another, "Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly." They had brick for stone. They had asphalt for mortar, uh, and they said, "Come, let us." There's a lot of let us. There's a lot of us me language here. Let us build ourselves a city. And a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let, let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. And then the Lord comes down, and you, you know what happens there. But to to, to um, uh, kind of summarize what what I see here, and and what I feel like pops up uh, at various other times throughout the Old Testament is that. You see here a, a, a picture of the intent. Once again, Adam has filled up the earth, okay, uh, to some extent at least. The flood's over, that picture is over, but Adam wasn't really dealt with by the cross. There was no new nature. There was no real new new creation made. There was just a picture of it through the flood. So so Adam now has filled the earth again, that nature, and, and here's here's what that nature does, okay? You see this natural corporate man with uh, with this objective uh, an objective to make a name for himself to glorify himself human glory human power but in a religious way um, an, an attempt to reach to the heavens I mean th- there's all these little phrases that to me they're all they're all significant. I think you could say I have this little phrase. I have this little uh, sentence written here. Um, 
Babel is the name that was given to that place, and Babylon was later later built there. And that word Babel, Shinar, Babylon, from this point on, represents the same thing. It rep- it's more or less synonymous with man's city. Man's goal, man's religion, man's unity in the flesh—you know—coming uh, br- together to try to create man's goal or bring about man's glorification, man's salvation. It's all man, man, man. Babylon is just the city of man, okay? And it's always the opposite, and it's always contrasted with a, another city. Uh, a city that is in every way the opposite of of Babylon, and that city you know is Zion. Zion is a people united in spirit, not in flesh, but in spirit it 's a people in whom heaven has come to abide, not a people trying to build their way to heaven and that 's the thing about this the city of Zion comes from the heavens first and then has expression in the earth. Okay, that's in fact that's how you see Zion pictured in the end of Revelation. It's a heavenly city coming down to the earth. Now that's some people are waiting for that to happen as though it's like a, a giant flying cube is going to literally come down and land somewhere. But that's that's figurative pictorial language. It's a heavenly, you know, it's the same thing that the Hebrew author says, you have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city. Paul says the same thing in Galatians chapter 4. He says, you've come to the Jerusalem which is above. You, you're already there. And we look around and with our natural eyes and try to touch things with our natural hands and get kind of confused when we read things like that, but it's a spiritual reality. And it is first of all heavenly. It is first of all spiritual. That's the order. And, you know, again, we talked about this too. I can't remember where I said what, and you always have to forgive me if I repeat myself recently. I mean, I, I always repeat myself, but the question is how recently have I have I said this? Uh, and, and to who? But the order from God's perspective is from man's perspective, the order is earth, death, and then heaven. That's what man thinks. Earth, death, heaven. From God's perspective, the order is death, heaven, and then earth. It's completely different. First you die in the Lamb. Then you are raised up and seated with Him in heavenly places. Then you become a spiritual city. You have your citizenship in the heavens. You are uh, you, you are come to Mount Zion. And, and, and then that heavenly life and relationship and reality begins to have manifestation in the earth, in you, in your soul, and, and in, in fellowship with those who are experiencing that same spiritual reality. But the order is first you die. Then you're, and I'm talking about die with the cross, not die with your body. Dying with your your body dying is is spiritually meaningless, even though everyone talks about it as though it is the great transition. It's not. The death of the cross is the great transition, and when you are baptized into Christ's death at new birth, you are raised up. There's not like another step in in the middle. You're raised up and seated with Him in resurrection life, 
and then to the measure that that heavenly spiritual reality becomes real in your soul to that degree then the earth you the church can bear the image in the earth of a heavenly kingdom let it be on earth as it is in the heavens let your kingdom come on earth let as it is in the heavens it's first the heavenly reality you see the kingdom is first heavenly and then to the measure that that heavenly kingdom is working in earthen vessels then it becomes an earthly experience an earthly fellowship an earthly government in us through us I'm not, I'm not talking about businesses and, and politics here either. I, that has nothing to do with that. It's a spiritual thing that is having expression and experience in the earth. That's the order. That's what Zion's all about. Zion is this, or the heavenly Jerusalem, or whatever way you want to say it, is this heavenly thing that you were raised up into coming down or or making itself known or making itself manifest in the earth. It's the same order you see in the Old Testament. The Exodus, what happened first in the Exodus? Uh, blood, death, the death of the Lamb. That's where the story started. You know, The story started, I mean, their, their journey, their, their God's involvement, his involvement with them and covenant started when they went into the death of the Lamb. Right? They went into it, they ate the dead Lamb. What was what was first after that? God began not creating an increase of a kingdom in the earth first. That was second. First was describing and showing them the heavenly relationship in the tabernacle and the priesthood and all of that. First, he defined them as a heavenly people, as a people who the high priest brought in to the to the tabernacle of God and his breastplate every day, and uh, and then. When when that reality by faith, it was the second generation, unfortunately, that started to see that by faith. But when that reality was the was the defining of who they understood themselves to be, then they could actually bring about the increase of that reality in a land, in a kingdom on earth. It could be in Canaan as it was in the heavens. The kingdom of God could come and and remove flesh from that land because it was a, a heavenly people yield, wielding the, the sword of the cross. Well, all that's just to say uh, Zion is the opposite of Babylon. Babylon, again, is man's city, man's goal, man's religion, unity in the flesh, aiming towards man's glorification, man's salvation. Zion is a people united in Christ, a people in whom heaven has come to earth. Also, it is, a, it is a sharing of... It's not natural people coming together for natural reasons, trying to share natural place and uh, space and time. It's spiritual unity of life. It's the same language, so to speak. The, the word, that it, the seeing of the same life... It, and 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 not not only that. In, instead of making man's name great, which is what Babylon's all about, Zion is about this corporate people that make God's name great. Man's name, you could say it this way: man's name is is not really mentioned in Zion. You are given a new name. You're given His name. You bear His name, and, and Jesus talks about that too. In John, you know that 
that they he's giving them the name that the father gave. You know, the name is so much more than a title. A name is a a life, a, a nature, a, 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 a it's the it's the it's the sum total of all the attributes of 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 that person. God declares his name by making himself known, and he gives us his name by forming himself in us. And we pray in his name when that name is what is the source and substance of our prayers, you know, not when we add a, a word to the end of our our petitions. Anyway, um, Babel became this false unity in the flesh, a false glory, and God... I, I I think I and I don't see this super clearly either, but I think that God almost kind of does them a favor, help and by spreading them out, by weakening them, by confusing them, by dividing them, so that they cannot rest in the power of man, but and that they would need to that the deception at least wouldn't be um, as great. Or the, I'm not exactly sure how to how to say that, but it, it reminds me. What it reminds me of is um, of what God or what Paul says in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, where he says, "He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted uh, periods and and, uh, and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might." Uh, this version says, feel their way towards him. Not sure how, I'm not used to usually reading that translation. I'm not sure where I got that, but though he is actually not far from each one of us. Um, I think the, the version I'm used to reading says, grope for him, that we would grope for him, feel around for him, blindly reach out, look for him. That's what I feel like, kind of. Almost like God took the mask off of this thing, divided it, showed it to be weak, took away the deception, kind of left man in a, in a greater state of weakness and division so that they would seek Zion, so that they would seek a greater unity, a greater name, a greater uh, religion, so to speak. I mean, well, you know what I mean by that, but uh, a greater experience of the heavens and uh, not this false, false glory. Um, yeah, well, I should probably stop there.